This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today I'm fired up because we've got Chris Harburn. He's the VP of Sales of Marcon. This is a fantastic episode. We went long just because it was so good. I didn't want to cut Chris off. No, there's just well, so many takeaways. Well, I yeah, the questions just kept coming. Uh, we had Chris down to Kokomo. He was gracious enough to come down to Kokomo Studios. Right. And yeah, this is... This is the fruits of our ongoing relationship with Marcon as one of our sponsors of the podcast. We can get guys like Chris in. But here's the other thing too, is uh, I, I knew there was a lot of talent at Marcon, but they've built a phenomenal team. No, you know what? Team. It's crazy that we had Nick on and then, uh, which Nick, was that one, show of, one of my favorite episodes. Maybe um, of of the catalog, one of my favorite episodes. It, it was a That was it's a really great conversation, but the way he described kind of the plans for Marcon and then to see how they've went about building out this team over the last year, year and a half. Yeah. Man, it's then, an impressive and, story. And then, and then you have, uh, and then you have Chris on the show, unreal recommendations, unreal insights into the market, really long and, um, multifaceted career in real estate as yeah. well. Like can talk about and, and mentored under some of the, he's some been, of the biggest he's, names. Yeah, in he's the been industry. everywhere, man. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, in, in kind of the best way, had an insight into so many facets of, of the business. So, yeah. so great having Chris here before we get to that, Adam, we're almost getting to stocking stuffer season. And I want to talk about some t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you did. Good Lord. That was horrible. You're like, wait, wait, there's more. Uh, you got, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some shirts. Cause these shirts, they fold nice and easy. Right. In easily, they go right in. But yeah, it, we've got the comment that we keep getting is I cannot believe the quality. We maybe went too, <laughs> we went too hard on the quality. Do we went, we went, uh, yeah, it, we went really extreme and got the, like, like, this is like a great baby, design, baby cotton. This great is, design, great quality. The only comment we've gotten on the negative is they fit a bit tight. <laughs> it's it's almost like we. It was like it was like here's the here's the the sell for these shirts. They're super good quality, but you're a triple XL. <laughs> <laughs> I got good news and bad news. I, I, we got a high quality T-shirt for you. Yeah. The yeah. bad news is the bad news is that. Uh, whether or not you think you need it, <laughs> um, yeah, you're gonna have a complex. Uh, but it, it's true, it's true. They they fit a little snug. We're we're I'm I'm we're, I'm just a large, but I'm usually a, a medium. Yeah, and, and also in the sleeves, it's one of these shirts where I've never felt this before. I feel like I'm like bursting out in the sleeves, yeah, which is not uh, an experience I've had. So it's uh, it's it, uh, my complex is fine. Yeah, it's it's actually they're great. You know what it is? Here's where I'll tell you where I got the idea for this brand of shirt. I have a really great shirt. It's from a brewery that I went to in, um, where was it? Penticton, outskirts of Penticton. Okay. Then I started to realize, so then I pick up a, another 
beer, uh, craft beer shirt. I like craft beer shirts. Right. Great shirts. Um, anyways, they're all the same brand. So then I go, wow, these are great. Like they're just really great quality. And then I sourced the tea. But here's what I, that should tell you. They're pretty good for dad bods. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> it's like loose in the stomach. Yeah. Biceps are busting <laughs> out. Though. They make your biceps feel like that is, that is amazing though. So these are the craft brewery uh, uh, beer shirts brand. of choice. Okay. Well, not always, but it's it's one of them. And then I, I talked to a friend of mine who is... Uh, who's in the clothing industry, who's got like an insight on everything. And he was like, yeah, that's a great, that's a great brand. Well, and I told you, WeWork used to use these when they had, when they were, had so much money, they didn't know what to do with it. These were the shirts yeah, they were so using. That's so. not what we're trying to <laughs> <laughs> reflect. Uh, we, we spent all of our hard earned money on these shirts. So uh, we want you to wear them. You can reach out at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram um, we're still going to run this contest because we've got a lot of shirts. And it's we not even a really a contest. And it's it, really what it is, is share your favorite episode, tag us in it. We'll repost it. We'll try to get you a shirt. Slide into the DMs, as they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Melissa is uh, is on hand. Yes. Uh, that's for sure. So yeah, I mean, it seems almost too easy to get one of these shirts. That That's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know what? We run long with Chris, yeah. uh, this week and, and everyone will be better for it. So maybe we should cut to our talk with Chris Harbin. I can't wait for this episode. If you are new to real estate, if you've been in real estate for a while, or if you're a seasoned pro, you're, everyone's going to take something away from this one. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam, with 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds. Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehaus. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. All right. So we're here with Chris Harburn. He is the VP of sales at Marcon. How are you doing, Chris? I am well, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for coming into the studio. It's uh, it's good to have you here. It's a rainy morning, too. It is. One of like the first really, really bad uh, rainfalls. And uh, I didn't get your text for like two or three minutes, so I kind of left you outside. So no worries. I figured out how to, how to remember to use my umbrella. And I nice. did it right <laughs> on top of myself as I came in. So it was beautiful. <laughs> uh, so Chris, uh, we're familiar with with you uh, through the industry, but for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I I've been in, geez, I've been in, in the real estate industry since 2006. So it's it's kind of been an interesting career for me, where I've 
I've gone through a bunch of different iterations from residential real estate into pre-sale sales, uh, into the agency side of things, working with, with Rennie, uh, into the developer world with a couple of the bigger developers in the city and even doing some consulting in between. So from a, a real estate standpoint, it's interesting. I've kind of sampled the, the sizzler buffet of all of the different things that the city has to offer. Which I think you need in your role, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm curious because like one of the things that we were talking about the other day, Matt and I, was the new agents who just started about a year ago and we're now in this down, down market, just how they started in a time when it was like you couldn't get an offer accepted. And now they're going into a moment where a lot of the buyers have kind they of... They have no offers. And you started in 06. Totally, yeah. Which is like, can you talk about starting in 06 and just what it was like then? For sure, yeah. I mean, real estate for me was like, look, I stumbled into real estate. Like it was, you know, my my kind of nucleus into into the, the industry was totally uh, unintentional. And so I had nothing in the way of expectations as to how it was going to be. So I didn't have any, any kind of any experience to draw on. I didn't have an uncle that was a realtor. My family hasn't been in, in real estate. So I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be like. And I started with a group in West Van that was, they were a big prominent player. They were just starting to kind of do the individual brokerage thing on their own and kind of stepping away from the Remaxes and the Suttons. And uh, so I had no real expectations. And like the joke that I like to say is my, my family is, is stable and salt of the earth people. So my dad was with a company for 39 years and I showed up for work at this real estate brokerage and I was expecting a company car. Like yeah. I, I had no idea how real estate <laughs> works. So the, he's like, can you go run these keys up to, to Southboro Drive? And I was like, yeah, no worries. I just, I haven't gotten my car yet. So I, yeah. so I was totally like clueless <laughs> as to how the industry worked as I got into it. And he's like, what do you mean you don't have a car? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't have any real context as to, you know, like what market I was getting into or, or whatnot. But, you know, with hindsight, you look back and it was a booming time, right? Like it was, it was the time where residential stuff was going crazy. I didn't really know about the pre-sale world. Obviously, West Van and, and a lot of those North Shore realtors at the time weren't that involved in the pre-sale world. Sure. Um, but it was busy, you know, like one of one of the best things I ever did, I think, was diving in with with a bigger group that had a lot of volume and you get 15 years of experience in two years. Right. And so, you know, a new agent, it's so hard to kind of get that exposure and that experience. And to your point, if you haven't been in the industry before 2017, 2018, you, you've never really understood that like cycle. You've never really gone through the different world. And a lot of people are kind of realizing that right now from the, the realtor side of things. But the other thing that's interesting is, is the buyers haven't either, right? There's a lot of people that are entering the market that have never gone through this phase. So right. it's, it's new for them too. And we, we tend to focus on the realtors and talk about, you know, the the people that just got in the industry when it was when it was booming and you couldn't get an offer in. But the buyers too, like like those people and the sellers that haven't necessarily been through a cycle, they're right. experiencing it for the first time too as well. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We often talk about how like sellers, if it doesn't sell on the first weekend, it's broken, right? Like that's their thinking where now it's, it's everyone's going, what's wrong? We've been on for three weeks or four weeks, or we've gotten some low offers or whatever. Totally. So it's a, it's a lesson for everybody Try right now. Try in, in a condo tower. Right. Yeah. Like, like try, try magnifying that by 330 homes. And if you haven't sold 65 or 70% in your opening weekend, everyone's going like, oh man, are they going to build it? Is it, is it, is it a failure? Right. Like, like why hasn't everybody bought there? And you're looking, you're looking at this going through your, your initial opening weekend going like, geez, we moved a hundred homes in seven days. Yeah, yeah, that's days. A pretty, it, it's it's a, yeah. unbelievable, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Making it successful. That's what other markets do in a calendar year, right? You know, <laughs> totally. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's not surprising for sure. Can you talk about like, so I'm, I'm just thinking Matt and I have a very similar story in the sense that we came from a family that was very much people that, you know, worked in government, school teachers, accountants, that sort of thing. What, what prompted you to get into real estate? 
It's a good question. I, I, um, you know, I, I kind of, like I said, I fell into it. I, I didn't expect, I don't think anybody goes through their like grade 11 or grade 12 counselor and says like, okay, so I'm going to fulfill my life dream of being a realtor this is, on so a park we, bench. We have, <laughs> How had, do I do we have had those people on the podcast say that. And I always think, I think that's, There's that's no like way. in hindsight. Yeah. Like as a six-year-old, it's like, I was aspiring to be a I realtor. Mean, number one, Phil Dunphy wasn't around when we were growing yeah. up. So you didn't have that hero to look up to in residential real estate. And unless your family, I think, was involved in it, it I, I think think it's a kind of industry where people tend to fall into it for a couple of different reasons, right? There's the the natural path from service industry, I think, which is the path that I took when I was I was involved in the restaurant industry for 10 years. And right. there's a lot of parallels between, you know, interaction with people and, and you know, confidence and marketing and, and getting out there and being being involved in the energy of, of, of real estate. But for me, it was it was one of those things where I uh, I had left the the restaurant industry after being in it since I was 14. I worked there and I thought that was going to be my career. I went through university and really enjoyed applying the stuff I was learning at SFU to to the restaurant model. And I just kind of, I, I woke up at like 25 and I was just thinking like, I don't think I want to be doing this when I'm 35 or when I'm 45, when I have a family and it was time to kind of step out. And right. I took a, like a little detour into this, <laughs> this industry that was a, a tech industry. And, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but it was it was a bit of a shady company, and and I didn't know that. I went I went to this conference in Malta that they sent me to, and I'd been there for literally three weeks, and I didn't know the product. It was me and the technology officer that went there, and we're at this conference, and you go in and you kind of look around, and you're like, man, these these other like people that are at this conference, they seem a little weird. They seem a little bit a little bit under the radar. <laughs> in Malta as well. In, in Malta, you're like, like, I didn't like, really know where Malta was, but I'm thinking like, man, I've made it. Like I transitioned <laughs> into this office job, and I've got this like career. And you, you get in there, and you realize that like these are these are not good people. Like these are people that are teaching you how to like set up a federation in in Colombia and how to like have a foundation to hide money. And I'm going, oh my god, I need to get out of here. So I came back to Vancouver. I ended up leaving that job. And I, I jumped into, into my real estate licensing course really quickly because this agent in West Van had always said, you know, if you wanted to change your careers, come and come and work with us. And yeah, uh, so I, I think in like probably six weeks, I powered through the course. This is before all the the four week courses on the telephone poles. Right. They tell you how they can get you through. <laughs> and then I just, I just, I thought it was going to be an interesting kind of application of what I had already kind of known and learned. And I, I've always been interested in architecture. I've always been interested in design. And it seemed like a good convergence of this concept of, you know, service and uh, experience coupled with architecture and design. So that, right. that's kind of how I jumped into it. But like I said, there was no, there was no uh, understanding of the market. There was no context in the, in the greater real estate industry, which has kind of been a theme my, my whole career. I didn't really know what was on the other side of the coin until I flipped it, which was, was kind of interesting. And, you know, one thing that strikes me, Chris, is, is that you've, well, maybe I'll back up and say in the podcast for us has been this like, layers of the onion in, in the real estate market. Like it's like just going deeper and deeper into whatever urban planning and development and like you name it. You've worn many hats over the years. Like, can you speak to, I'm just curious as to, as to moving through various aspects of the industry, was it just like a curiosity or, or what drove you there? I don't think it was intentional. You know, I, I honestly think it was one of these things where I'm I'm the kind of person I think that I, I get really inspired by dynamic people. So I, I, every kind of career change, every every kind of diversion that I've I've taken a step 
to a different kind of direction or aspect of real estate, there's usually been like a really uh, inspiring or or uh, or driven person that's at that nucleus that's kind of inspired me to make the move. So, you know, leaving residential real estate and going into working at the agency side, it was uh, a really good colleague of mine introduced me to Chris Rennie, and I had a coffee with Chris and. Uh, he's just such an incredibly analytical and smart guy. And you talk to him and you're just going like, wow, this guy sees the world differently. It's unbelievable the way that he kind of looks at things and, and breaks down a situation. And so I, I, kind of, I went and joined them and, and started doing pre-sale for them. And, and that opened this kind of whole world of pre-sale development and pre-sale sales, which I'd never been exposed to. I'd never, never gone through. I didn't know what a disclosure statement was. I'd never been inside a presentation center. I didn't right. know it even existed. And, you know, the first project I worked on was the Olympic Village when it was just turned over from the, the Olympics to us. And it was amazing. You're going through, you know, 1100 homes that are all brand new and finished. And how do you sell them? Like, how do you look at, at going through this process? And, you know, the big upheaval around that project was was wild. And, you know, it was it was interesting kind of going through that as my first uh, introduction to pre-sale world and slowly grew through Rennie into the, the phase where I was selling projects on the sales floor. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Like I, I enjoyed refining this uh, this sales pitch and this experience of people coming into the sales galleries and the sales centers and talking them through, helping them helping them understand something that I knew well and intimately was, was really fascinating to me. Um, and then, you know, once I got into the developer's boardroom, it was, it was presenting offers to, to a developer. And I, I realized I was selling kits 360, which was on uh, 1777 awesome West 7th, if, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And Intergulf was a developer and, and, you know, it was my first chance as a, as a sales manager. And so I got the opportunity to kind of present these offers to the developer and, I was shocked that we would usually just email them over to them. And I'm used to coming from resale, you're sitting at the kitchen tables and you're talking people through all the stuff that's on the plate. So I used to go to their office and I'd sit in the boardroom with, with the signatories at Intergolf and I'd talk them through the offers. And that relationship you get with the, the macro developer, these people that are, are responsible for 300 homes at a time or a massive development, I really enjoyed it. So that was really fun to kind of dive into that world. And the dynamic people at, at Rennie were really inspiring. I was, uh, you know, a mentor to this day is Tracy McTavish, who who kind of grew me into um, into the director of sales there, which I really, really loved. I, I loved the application of residential real estate into project sales and helping the the realtors kind of get their footing in the project sales arena. But you know, from there, I, I kind of grew into wanting to understand a little bit more about the total development process. So you know, a sales and marketing company will take a, a relatively baked project. They'll put together a really dynamic sales and marketing program, and then they'll sell it, and then they'll step away. So we don't really understand what happens before we get the project, and we we kind of aren't around for what happens after. And so I, I really wanted to get the whole picture. I want to understand acquisitions. I really wanted to understand construction and development, design, homeowner care, key handovers, all that kind of stuff. And so there was a, a really dynamic person at that stage of my career that kind of helped me me kind of pivot from uh, the agency side into the development side at, at Anthem. And Elva Kim was was awesome. She was a, a super dynamic leader. She was somebody who uh, was just doing amazing things at Anthem and taking this really big company and trying to to kind of grow it in a thoughtful way. Uh, and so that's what kind of got me into the the kind of developer world. Those are, for people that are not in the industry, those are huge names uh, that you just mentioned. And the fact that you got to mentor under all of them is pretty is yeah. pretty incredible. It, um, it's wild, though. I, th- I think people in, in Vancouver in the real estate industry, I don't think they really realize the access they have to talent and, and amazing people. And, uh, you know, my whole career has always just been about trying to get myself in front of people that have been inspiring. And I remember the first time I was in a boardroom with Bob Rennie and I was shocked that I was, I'm at the table with Bob Rennie. I'm sitting here, I'm listening to him talk to a developer and advise it. I was just blown away. And I, I, I talked to him after and, and he said, just call me if you want to go for coffee. And you like, people are so accessible in our industry. And I think there's this fear that 
if you reach out to somebody, they're not going to want to take the time to sit down with you and kind of help mentor you or, or answer a question that you have. Right. But th- there's there's this amount amount of accessibility that that happens in our industry at these these levels that I don't think enough people take advantage of, to be honest. When, when I think about the 350 or so episodes we've had on this podcast, and it's it's tough to ever pick a favorite, but one of my favorites this is, one's your favorite, is right? yeah, this is this this <laughs> slowly becoming your favorite. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was gonna say Nick on the show oh, was like. We Matt and I both left that uh, conversation just being kind of in awe of. of and the Nick. worst part is, is because he's such a young guy too. You're like, oh, it's, it's jarring man. his level of ex, like experience sophistication. sophistication. So, yeah. so when you guys yeah. reached out to me originally to do this, it was probably a month after Nick's, and I was like, "There's no way I could go after Nick. Like yeah. that guy, he's he's like one of the wisest people for his age, which yeah. is excruciating to be around." But calling him dad, by yeah. like, <laughs> but he's also one of the most well-spoken people. Like his his ability, I think, to synthesize an idea and convey it in like an interesting way, like beyond anybody else that I've had exposure to. Well, yeah. And the reason I bring it up is because it, it, can you talk about getting into getting involved with Marcon and, and how, how you transitioned into uh, Marcon as a, as a, a VP of sales? For sure. Yeah. So, so Marcon was an interesting one. They were client to Rennie. A, a, I wasn't ever on their file. We, we had kind of just passed when, when they were, they were coming in to, to work with Rennie on a couple of bigger projects uh, was right when I was kind of stepping out to go and join Anthem. So I never got a chance to work with them. But, you know, you always knew them. You always knew, you know, five, six, seven, this massive tower with a basketball court in the middle of the building, which is so cool. It's awesome. Yeah. And at the time I was, I was consulting, actually, I, I had stepped away from Anthem and was trying my hand at, at kind of consulting with some smaller developers in Calgary and working with some people in Vancouver to try to help them with their sales and marketing programs. And Nick reached out to me and said, you know, we're looking for somebody to come in and help us build our sales and, and, uh, and marketing teams in, internally. And uh, there was at that time, there was a small company, I think, that had these like bigger visions of how they wanted to go. A lot of the stuff that Nick talked about in terms of kind of stepping outside of the traditional mold of, of residential development and, and how you approach that from a developer standpoint. And I remember I'm I was going to to meet with Nick and I thought it was going to be like a 15 minute conversation. It's a quick, quick chat. We ended up sitting and chatting for a good two and a half hours and talking about everything, you know, a lot of the same stuff that he talked with you guys about in terms of, you know, why we do things the way we do in, in Vancouver pre-sale development, why we market things the way we do, all these traditions that we kind of stick to just because it's always been done and how afraid a lot of people are at actually taking a risk. And when you do take a, a risk and you step out and it doesn't work, it's kind of a, a a false positive. It's like, well, I, I showed you that's why we don't take risks, right? right? As opposed to stepping back and looking at it and saying, okay, well, that didn't work. Like, what if we tried it with like one variable different? What would that look like, right? So a, as he and I kind of chatted, I left that meeting and I, and I called my partner, Jenna, and I said, I think I have to work for these guys. Like I, I had said, I would never go work for anybody. I loved working on my own. It was amazing. It was kind of bringing me back to those early days in in resale. And I, there was just something that was happening there that was was so different than I'd ever been exposed to. And and I think what it was is it's this unique convergence of a developer that has the 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 footing and the basis to be able to take some risks, right? They've got this massive background of of quality and stability in terms of what they've built and how long they've been involved in Vancouver. And then they have this kind of next generation that's taking it over from the the founding generation that is is wanting to do things differently and push boundaries and take some risks. And and I think that that those two variables, when they're coupled together, it allows you to kind of do something different. You know, if you're not stable, if you're a new developer in the city, you can't take these big risks because you don't have the the background to fall back on. Right. Um, so I, I think those variables just made it an, a really interesting thing for me to look at. Plus, I looked at it as a bit of an opportunity to try to apply all the stuff that I've learned, right? Like I've I've come from 
being a residential realtor. I've been a sales rep on the floor. I've been a sales director at a marketing company. I've been a sales director at a developer's company. I've been uh, a consultant. So it, it was hopefully the opportunity to kind of take a lot of that knowledge and, and apply it in the, the best way possible to try to build this, this internal sales team. So, so what does a day in the life look like now? It's busy. Like we've we've had very busy two years. I've I've only been at Marcon for two years, so it's been a it's been a very uh, interesting two years. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting two years. Yeah, I came in like right at that kind of peak of of COVID. Marcon as a developer was was growing fast. They had a lot of big projects that were completing. We completed on five, six, seven Clark and Como and Mirabelle, uh, Semia out in White Rock, and all of the Port Moody projects that we had. George and it was a lot going on with a very small team. So it was it was a very busy onboarding to the to the project. But we're at a place now where it's it's a very uh, it's a very established group. We've we've got this collective of people that are are from multiple areas in the city that that are experts, and right. it's been really fun to work with these people that are are very smart and very strong in their fields, but are also very cognizant of everybody else's fields and has exposure in it. You know, my marketing partner is incredibly talented and understands sales, and you know, I understand marketing, and our development team is is super dynamic. So we we have these like really great sometimes lengthy debates about what what each other's businesses should be within the business. An average day is, you know, it's um, it's up early. I, I get up at five. I, I've just kind of made a decision to get up early in my life. I like that hour, hour and a half in the morning that is mine and I get to choose what to do with it. I think a lot of my day is is dictated by what comes at me, which is is kind of a, a typical thing for I think a lot of people. It's right. It's inbound stuff that you end up kind of deflecting and responding to. So I like that time to kind of have on my own. Um, and then it's, I'm in the office relatively early. We, we spent a lot of time, uh, working on the business, which is, is a hard balance to find when you're also running the business and, and working in it. Right. Um, but the, the mix between those two kind of facets, working on the business and working in the business is, is I think what helps you progress and helps you kind of move along without being untethered from the actual day-to-day applications of things. Right. If that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. It's it's almost like when you when you're burnt out from working in the business, it's nice to take a break and work on the business too. You'd have that balancing act. And so you're up at five a.m. What time are you typically in the office? Uh, you know, we we've got a, a, a fairly um, we've got a really neat culture in our in our company where there's there's a lot of people that are in the field, so we we don't have a real regimented. You know, everybody's in the office at seven, everybody's in the office at eight, nobody leaves till six, kind of thing. It's it's a very uh, open culture there, which is is great. I usually find I'm in the office somewhere between seven thirty and eight, which is which is nice. We've got uh, we've got a decently heavy meetings schedule going on, but you know, we're, we're all, we're all pretty cognizant of the fact that there's a lot going on. So it's, it's a, it's a, a good collective to try to not take everybody's time with useless meetings, which is nice. Right. And and maybe just switching gears a little bit, Chris. So you came on when a lot of the, the Marcom projects that I think a lot of people are familiar with were completing. And then we move into the market as it is right now, uh, a little bit slower. Like how is the presale market? Oh, it's Flying off the shelves. It's busy. Oh, oh man. God. Yeah, it's great. I don't know what you guys have heard, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's, it's wild. It's just Matt and I that are slow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Might be something you guys are doing. Yeah. <laughs> Not working on the business. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it, it's, it, there's definitely a dramatic shift, right? Like th- this year has been really interesting because you look at, you know, January to, to May and it was, it was flying, right? Like you're, you, we were chasing, we were chasing the launches in, in that spring market. We have uh, our Elmwood project in Berquitlam and our Hugh project in Port Moody that we were just dying to bring to market. And, right. and we were just like being held up and almost almost ready to go, almost ready to go. And then when we finally 
brought them to market in July, it was that that like middle of the teeter totter, right? Like nobody really knew which direction it was going to go. Everybody kind of felt like a little bit of a transition happening. And then it's it's uh, obviously with all the interest rate rises and everything that's happened in the last four months, it's been a, a very different market than it was in the beginning of the year. Um, but you know, our our kind of dictum and the way that we kind of look at at our our business, the way we approach these projects is is I think different than other developers where we kind of just do our own thing. Like we're, we're very fortunate in the sense that we don't have a, a huge amount of outside investors. So uh, as a family run business, we, we, we get to make the right decision for the project and we, we don't necessarily have it dictated by the investor return or the performa. It's, it's, we, we kind of make a plan for how we want to bring these projects to market and we get to stick with it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's true through tough markets, right? It's, it's obviously great when you, when you end up like moving product really quickly in a short amount of time, but it's, uh, it's a real market now, right? It, there's there's a lot of tactile sales that happen on the floor. There's a lot of relationships that you're you're now leaning on as opposed to just handling inbound inquiries and trying to manage and mitigate demand, right? right. As people come yeah, through. Yeah, and just taking orders, basically. For sure. And, and, you know, that's a complex thing, too. I think people minimize, like, how hard it is to actually take those orders when you've got 5,000 people in a database <laughs> yeah, and yeah, 250 yeah. homes. And, and relationships, and, right? And relationships. How do you manage that, right? So I, I think that we, we sometimes, as, a, as an industry, get painted unfairly in those, those really peak moments. Um, I, I find that those hard, uh, those hard launches where you know there's an exceptional amount of demand for a finite amount of product, those are sometimes harder than what you're dealing with now. Um, it, it's it's frenetic, and you know somebody's going to be disappointed, right? right? When you get into a challenge like like what we're dealing with right now, is it, it's just back to basics, right? We we fall back onto relationships and we fall back onto creativity, right? We we look at what are we going to do to to show value in this market, and right now I think we're dealing with a challenge where nobody really has any any real need to buy, right? Everybody's kind of looking at this and going like, I don't really have anything pushing me to absolutely take, take a step no right now, right? There's no urgency. There's no, there's no real push, but people are still buying, you know, like where, where there's true value, people actually understand that that value is, is a bit timeless. And, and we tend to struggle, I think in the, in the Vancouver real estate industry as people look such short-term timeframes, right? In, in everything, right? Mm-hmm. In the peak of the market, it's like, okay, let's just look at the last three months. And, you know, in, in a down market, let's just look at what's happening right now. And, and if you zoom out just a little bit, you get such a different context. And, and that's what we're really relying on is we're trying to show value in the way that people can can kind of understand it by just zooming out a little bit, right? Is, is, is there another moment? Like I, one thing I thought of immediately when you said you started in 2006 and then of course you know, the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Is there another moment, I guess, potentially in Marcon's history or in just the kind of wealth wealth of experience that, that Marcon has that you're looking back to and going, like, this reminds us of X time and and here's how we made it through type thing? Yeah, I, I think I think it's um, it's the cycle, right? It, you, you always have these times where, where it's either going to be managing more inbound versus facilitating more outbound. And, you know, we, we saw it in, in 2008, 2009, we saw it in 2012, 2013, we saw it in, to some degree in the beginning of pandemic where everybody was like, well, what do we do? Right? Like, like what, how do we handle this kind of stuff? You don't have anybody coming to your sales galleries or your sales centers, you, everything's shut down, nobody's doing anything. And so I think you can kind of like have a little bit of comfort in knowing that it's just a moment in time, right? This is the, this too shall pass kind of a thing, <laughs> which, which like, it, it's amazing how quickly we forget that on, on both sides of things, right? Everybody, I think early in, in the year was like, oh, this will be, this will be great. Like we're going to, we're going to ride this rocket ship for, 
forever, right? It's going to be awesome. Like what could go wrong? Right. And then conversely, you look at this now and, and everybody's thinking like doom and gloom. Like it's like, oh, well, it's over. Like the dream is dead. Vancouver real estate is never going to recover. It's going to be, it's going to be horrible now, which, which just purely isn't true. Right. It's insane how quickly that sentiment changes. And we've talked about that. Like, like, yeah, it was like instantly within a Vancouver week, is not a livable like, city. <laughs> Vancouver's not a livable city anymore and real estate was never a good investment and <laughs> totally. uh, it's like crazy right it's wild right I mean you guys must realize must must deal with this in your businesses right like it's because yeah. it's, you're way more on the front lines of, of individual decision makers right, right. Like you're, you're dealing with individual buyers and sellers that in, in all reality are probably a little bit more susceptible to like immediate reaction right whereas the, you, you keep in mind our our timelines are 8 to 10 years right? right sometimes it takes us you know 3 or 4 years to get from acquisitions to being in market and then 3 to 4 years to build and then a year to close out right so we've got this huge time frame so our our scope is is bigger like we're we're not looking at this and and saying like you know these 4 years that we put into bringing this incredible tower to market in Berkwitlam it looks pretty tough right now. Let's yeah. just step away from it. <laughs> yeah, let it go, yeah, right? yeah. Pull the plug. <laughs> Pull the plug. You know, wrap it all up. We're good. We'll just move on, right? Yeah. So it's it's sometimes I think it's like this this idea of like just the context, right? You have to look, step back, and kind of look out at it, and and have a bit of confidence, knowing that everything's going to be okay. And I think that confidence only comes from having the right variables in place in the beginning. Um, and for me, that was one of the big things with Marcon was it was, I, I loved again, that fact that we had that, that really strong base of quality and it, it's a developer that really does care about what it builds. And, you know, you're going to have challenges regardless of where, of where you go, but it's what you do when those challenges come up. I think that, that really, they really show your character. I'm just thinking like, you know, I, I, Marcon has been developing a very long time since, you know, humble beginnings and farm farmland <laughs> for sure yeah <laughs> you know? which i learned a lot of that from nick's podcast too yeah. it's unbelievable yeah. to learn where, where the great evolution story. of the company came from yeah and uh, i'm just thinking like and it's it's very true the the long game uh aspect of it and kind of pulling back i guess is there a pivot right now in the company or 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 is it just business as usual honestly it's business as usual right like we've obviously got a lot of confidence in the things that we we do commit to and we bring to market and that's you know one of the things that i really enjoy about the way that we make decisions there is a lot of our decision makers are in house so you know our our interior design team is in house our sales and marketing team is in house now our acquisitions team is in house the only things we really kind of push out are our consultant relationships when it comes to, to, you know, architecture and some of the mechanical consultants and things like that. But because you have those people all at the table, you have a lot more confidence in the decisions that you're making. You're, you're not banking on an external factor to make a really internal decision. So, you know, for us, we, we've kind of always looked at things in our own terms and, and you, you take the context of the market and you understand what you're developing in and what you're making these decisions in. But, I, I think we make decisions based on our our internal variables more than we do what's happening in the external. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, look at it. If you, if you made a decision in March of this year, banking on on an external variable, you're in a very different world six months later, right? And likewise, if you make a decision today, banking on today's variables six months from now, you have no idea what that's going to look like, right? You have no clue. So as long as you're taking what you know and what you have the ability to control, and you're making your decisions based on that, which is what we do with anything that we we look at from an acquisition standpoint, from a you know product mix standpoint, what we build, when we build it, how we bring it to market. It's more a, a decision around what we can do as opposed to what's happening to us from mm-hmm. an external standpoint. So, Chris, you have a, a couple projects uh, that you've mentioned, uh, and and we talk about them on the podcast uh, all the time. But just thinking about the foreseeable future, like a lot of people are talking about, you know, projects either stalling or being taken off the market. 
what is it, what does it look for Mark on? And maybe even more generally, what's, what's your impression about the next 12 to 18 months in terms of, of actual launches. And, um, you know, one thing we think a lot about on this podcast is the need for more housing, but in markets like this, it's just, everything dries up, right? Are you guys, are, are you kind of thinking, okay, let's take our time? Uh, is that the general sentiment out there? Not, not really, no. I mean, we're, we're kind of full steam ahead with everything. Like our, our, our kind of, uh, our shift from being a developer that, that obviously builds a lot of homes for other developers, but also has historically developed our own projects. Uh, we're really exponentially growing that side of our business, the actual mark on development side. Um, and, and those big projects are, are still moving ahead full steam. Like we, we did three launches this year between our Elmwood project, our, our Hue project in Port Moody. And we just launched a really unique project on, on the, the edge of Stanley Park called 2030 Barkley. And, you know, looking in the future, we've got a really big master plan that's coming out into Coquitlam, which is going to be a, a, a really kind of game changing development for that Tri-City area. Uh, we've got a, a point tower in Surrey. We've got a wood frame development in Burquitlam. We've got a whole bunch of rental stuff that's happening in our in our portfolio in Vancouver and in, in Coquitlam. These are all moving forward. I, I think you know we 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 tend to look at we tend to look at this idea of like demand versus supply as as being quite binary, right? People say, well, the problem with Vancouver real estate, the reason it's it's unaffordable is we need more supply, and we get into a time like this where there's there's ample supply right now to meet what people are looking at, but everybody's kind of stepped back from the buying sidelines, right? And I don't think that that dynamic ever really changes. I think, you know, from a, even from a, a residential standpoint, as you look at who, who tends to buy when, and the peak of the market is when people are, are frenzied. It's when you've got the eight, eight offers, 10 offers going on. In a time like this, where you have prices that have come down a little bit, you have a lot of access to product, people tend to step back and say, oh, I'm not going to jump in right now. I'm, I'm just going to wait until, until others kind of give me confidence that the market's going to be okay. From a pre-sale standpoint, like we, we don't necessarily have that uh, ability to to be that reactionary, right? Like we're we're moving forward with these these projects. We do have the choice as to whether we launch it right now or whether we you know hold off until the spring. Which we're seeing a lot of developers do that. We're seeing a lot of people that are a little bit uncertain about the market right now. There's a little bit of built up supply in some of these areas, like Berkwitlam, like you know Metro Town, and some of those those spaces. But it doesn't last long, right? It 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 gets absorbed by attrition over time and these new projects end up coming through right like even in a time like this you'll you'll see a project launch and you'll see 150 200 homes go within two to three months of its launch Mm -hmm. see those are big numbers right those are big numbers in a really really challenging time it's just in context when you used to sell that in a weekend people look at it and say oh man it's a it's a different market right now (laughs) but from a buyer's standpoint i'm always quite surprised that uh buyers don't engage with developers at these times because each sale means a lot to a developer at this stage, right? A lot of developers are looking at just getting to that financing qualification. They're looking at moving 10 more homes between now and the end of November. So each deal is is important to everybody. And there's there's this huge opportunity, I think, for buyers to come in and and take advantage of a really uh, a really calm experience in in making this decision around around buying a home. So it surprises me when you see the the market slow down, but people don't necessarily take advantage of what what's out there in terms of of them being a little bit more in control of the experience. Well, you know, that's I'm curious to hear your thoughts on timing the market because I think we had the guys from MLA in here maybe six eight months ago, and they had pretty interesting ideas on when to time when to time a buy in the presale market that it was a little different than the resale market. In your mind, is now the time where you can, 
you know, okay, we have 10 homes we need to get rid of by the end of November or whatever, and kind of go in and take your time and, and really make sure you, you get the product you want, the home you want, and at on the terms that you want? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this idea of timing the market is, it's such a fallacy. Like, yeah. it's, it's the same as investing, right? You, you look at it and you, you kind of think like, like how how arrogant are we to think that we would be able to figure out when the right week, month, day sure. of the year is to buy in this this world that is so interconnected and there's so many variables at play. So I think if you kind of, again, step back from that idea of trying to make it perfect and look at what what you do know, look at the variables you can control, right? And, and try to figure out what you want to do. I, I think it is a good time right now. I, I think for sure people look at fear in the future is is usually what what mitigates these sales and pushes people off to the sidelines. But what what I think is interesting is that people don't really understand that they're they're purchasing today for a product that's completing in four years or three and a half years. Right. So the immediate fears that you have right now are around money's expensive, right? Like what am I going to actually be dealing with? So there's a, there's a bit of an uncertainty component to that too, which which I do get. But the variables that you normally can't control in a very busy pre-sale market are access to product. You usually have uh, have very minimal access to things like incentives and the ability to kind of take your time with your decisions. Whereas right now you you have you have those. You have mm-hmm. the ability to kind of go in and, and spend your time looking at what product actually makes the right sense for you, whether it's an investment product, whether it's something you're going to live in. Uh, you know, looking at the variables, you can you can shop multiple different development sites, right? You can go into five different development sites in in Berkwitlam right now. You can visit each sales gallery. You can understand what promotions they're running. You can you can look at it. And you can make a a decision based on the merits of the offering itself. And I think in in that specific market, the people that are going to do well from a developer standpoint are the people that have actually put thoughtful development forward, right? Mm-hmm. They're not trying to maximize on on sales velocity. They're not trying to just fill a, a demand need into the market. So from a buyer's standpoint, you, you have the ability to really kind of go in and be choosy and be picky and, and look at what what's important to you, make a decision based on that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, everybody's everybody's uncertain right now. I think it's it's a much easier bet to make when you're looking at the pre-sale world because you have a little bit more of the cards kind of stacked in your favor as a buyer right now. Right. Who's it? Uh, I'm, I was thinking about this on the drive over today. Um, small, mid and large developers. I mean, there's different levels in, in the development world. It seems to me like the 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 big players in our in our market are are just going to trudge forward. It's a machine, right? For sure. Like just thinking about financing, thinking about um, just just carrying costs and everything. I guess who who is this market most challenging for from a del- development perspective? Is it is it the small guys, the mid sized guys, or I, I, it's hard to say? I, I think everybody shares a bit of the risk. Like there's different risks at different levels. I think if you're if you're a small or medium developer, it's tricky, right? It's hard. You've got a lot of you got a lot of your own sweat equity tied up in there. You've got you've got a lot of risk that's on the table for mm-hmm. you, and and you don't necessarily have a huge amount of clout to be able to move. But you're probably a little bit more nimble, right? You have the ability to kind of look at at what you need to do. You have less people that you're beholden to usually. But the bigger developers, they they obviously have a little bit more control over what they want to do. Um, but sometimes they're they're a little bit more susceptible to outside forces, right? Sometimes they have they have investors that drive decisions that maybe wouldn't be made in in a market context. But I, I think in, in reality, at each of those levels, whether it's a small, medium, or, or a large-scale developer, the, the people that are really looking at, at the, the true offering that they're bringing to the buyers are the ones that are going to make it through well, right? If, if, you, if you deliver thoughtful, good product to people, if that is your base, uh, you're going you're gonna to be identified in the market as somebody that, that has appeal more than somebody that was just trying to, again, fill the demand need, right? right? And, and do that. 
I noticed that on your Instagram this morning, you've got Jordan McDonald on from Fabric, which is, yeah. is super exciting. He looks like, I, I love the stuff that they're doing. They they do some really, really exciting projects yeah, in, in the city. thoughtful, yeah. And yeah. Inspiring <laughs> guy, for 100%, sure. right? And and there's people at every level of our industry that do that. You know, um, the Terra Blancas of the world, people that are are looking at just, just making these really thoughtful programs that have a, a lot of their identity kind of tied into what, what they're bringing to the market. Um, those to me are people that, that rise above in in down markets or in challenging markets, mm. I think, because people can have something else that they tie themselves to as opposed to just the, 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 the real estate itself. Right. Right. It's like you're, you're associating yourself with, with a brand. There's a, there's a confidence that's there, that's there that gives you this ability to kind of make that decision that maybe you would have stepped back on. It's kind of that little hook that pulls you back when you're leaving the sales gallery. Right. That's, that's, that's a really great point. Yeah. And, you know, I, this takes me back to the Colin Boza discussion of a long time ago, but he was uh, talked a lot about kind of brand and, and, you know, decades of building a brand. But my guess is, you know, everybody wants the Marcons and the Bozas in at the best of times, but in the worst of times, brands like yours stand out, right? Like, it's like, why... Like I was thinking about it from uh, the angle, like as a, as a smaller developer, it's challenging when, okay, who is this, who is this person in a market like this, where you can, you know, look at the offerings and, and brand is so important. For sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, that, that goes beyond the consumer interface too. Like, you know, we, we have uh, a strong brand representation with our lenders, with, uh, you know, the people that we look at sub trades with our, our, our contractors and, and people that work with us. So there's this, like, there's this interesting benefit that you get from, from time and brand exposure in the city in these challenging times. Like, you know, I have the ability to go to my, my director and vice president of finance and say, Hey, this is what the market needs from a financing standpoint. Can we do this from a deposit standpoint? Can we look at getting creative on this kind of aspect of it? And they can then call up our lenders and say, you know, like, here's where we're at. This is what we've sold. This is where we're looking. Like for the next four months, this is what we want to try to do. What, what can we do? And, and I don't know that that relationship is there sometimes with a with a smaller one-off group or somebody that's just trying to get their leg up in the in the development industry. So it's definitely a benefit for us. But from the consumer standpoint, certainly I think people like anything, right? You, you're looking for stability in in a in a home purchase. You're looking for for confidence and and knowing that you're going to have somebody with you for the long term. So yeah. uh, that brand is definitely something that we <laughs> we lie, rely on and and hope is going to kind of get us through these. And every decision that you've made to get to the sales process really starts to matter now, right? Like the location, 100%. the that you know the the site, what you're building, the product type that you're building, the the marketing, the the level of finishes, like everything now it's like this is the time when that's actually tested. This is when it matters. And and I think like people don't realize that it 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 still matters in the busy markets, right? It still matters a lot and a lot of people forget that. They just throw up something quickly and they they think like the market will take care of them, but those are the times that you're actually earning the confidence of the market when you're consistent on your approach. Right. I, I think for me it's much like any any kind of service-based industry is like the the consistency and the persistency is what actually keeps you going right it's it's that that recognition over time that gives people confidence so for us like we 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 approach to your earlier question we approach all of our decision making kind of the same like we we, we definitely look at it assuming that everything is going to move forward as planned and so when these little bumps kind of come into the road there's not a lot of change that needs to happen to us because we've kind of planned for any scenario. It's mm-hmm. it's we've we've made the thoughtful decisions from a product standpoint. We've made it from a design standpoint. We've you know put the legwork in and understanding our market. We we know what we want to do, and so it's it's a, a bit of a confidence from us going forward that we're putting together the best mix of variables into that market, and so we can kind of hold the course mm-hmm. and and kind of see see it through. Hey everyone. 
Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Maybe changing gears just a little bit here, Chris, but I'm, I'm, Thinking about kind of right now, a lot of people are watching the market and, you know, market factors kind of take that out of the equation. But which areas in the lower mainland are you kind of most excited about right now? And just even uh, maybe from your role in Marcon, but also your just your personal watching the market for so many years. And just to piggyback, because I was thinking of asking the same question, but because, as you said earlier, with Marcon, you know, it's from acquisition to handing over the keys and and beyond, right? So the outlook is so the outlook is so uh, so much more expansive, I For guess, sure. than than somebody you know working in a different facet of the the industry. Yeah, I mean, we we we've looked at like a bunch of different areas, right? We've we've been a historical developer that's been very successful in in Langley. We've been very successful in the Tri City area. We've dabbled in Vancouver. Obviously, we've done a lot of stuff down here too. But you know, from for me, I think what's happened personally, and and not necessarily from the company standpoint of an investment strategy, but I think it's been interesting to watch what's happened in the Greater Vancouver market from a pre-sale standpoint. And you know, in two thousand eight, when I was I was trying to sell buyers into pre-sale condos and kind of driving around and looking at presentation centers from that standpoint, there is a very big difference between showing somebody a, a development site in Metrotown versus showing somebody something in Coquitlam, right? There's a pretty hard line between those two like sub-markets. I think now we've got this, this kind of, um, this, uh, kind of similarity between greater Vancouver, where everybody kind of looks at the market as one, right? You, you're you're way less competitive in terms of like this, this mar- submarket doesn't have what that submarket does. Product is looking a little bit similar when you look at what a tower in Coquitlam has versus a Brentwood tower versus, you know, a Metrotown tower. Right. And so I think that there's this, um, there's this interesting thing that's happening where 
how do you differentiate now when you used to be able to rely upon on submarkets and little little parts of cities to be your differentiator it's now kind of being relied upon as like the product that's being delivered right like what what are you going to do to differentiate your tower from something that's happening in equal submarkets um but from my standpoint i i really get excited over um unique product it doesn't really matter where it's built for us like we we really love being thoughtful with the approach of what we're building as opposed to where we're building it. You know, I, I think Tri-Cities and the the Coquitlam stuff that we're looking at doing is exciting for us because it's going to be a transition for the neighborhood. It's it's not just another tower that's going into an already established market. You'll, you'll see a fairly dramatic pivot that happens in the surrounding lands that are around our site. So for me, that's exciting because it, it is placemaking. It's it's urbanism in action. It's It's really seeing something happen that's tangible in front of you. But I also really like the boutique stuff. Like I really like the the small stuff where you're able to to look at some really talented people doing smart infill in the city of Vancouver. I think from a, a impact on the community, those are those are really impactful from a, a positive standpoint, right? You have uh, you have different people that are moving into neighborhoods. You have different architecture that's being introduced into different neighborhoods. So I get excited on both ends of the spectrum from like a nine tower master plan community to like a really uniquely designed laneway house in, in East Van. I think, right. I think they both have merit in terms of what they do. So, and if you were going to buy right now, so you, if I understand it's a look, you're more interested in the product by the sounds of things like the, the offering than, than the location. For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there's, I think location has merit too, right? I, yeah. I think you, when you, when you look at it, like our job is to try to understand where the, where the holes are. It's to try to look at where the, the unique opportunities may be in, in a different submarket. I do think there's some submarkets in, in greater Vancouver that are a little bit more appealing than others. For me, it, it's, it's always my decisions personally from what I've invested in, in terms of real estate have always just been based on the confidence in the builder. Number one, the confidence in the local market itself. And do I like the product? I, I think a lot of the time we forget that these are tangible things. You're, you know, you're not going to go live inside your GIC. You're not going to go live inside your stocks and bonds. But <laughs> sure. these are like these are tangible things that you get to have an identity with, right? And right. You get to see it. So, do you like the architecture? Do you like the feeling of the of the home? Do you do you understand exactly what's going to be around you and what's the livability of that like? Do you think like I I I'm I had this conversation with somebody yesterday about you know it's it's almost like the question used to be and maybe it's not this question anymore, but I remember this is maybe the question seven or eight years ago was kind of where's the next Brentwood was always kind of <laughs> thrown around, right? Yeah. And Brentwood now, when you go to Brentwood, like I, we just sold something in Brentwood and it is incredible. It's uh, wild. It's wild how be- amazing it is. It's, it, we, the joke was we used to like, it used to be a letdown driving from Vancouver to Burnaby. Now it's almost a letdown driving back <laughs> in some cases. Uh, I don't think that's actually true, but I mean, it, it's stunning what they've done in Brentwood. Without saying where's the next Brentwood, where is there a place that that um, that you're kind of looking at where right now it, it you know it's uh, it's it's kind of mini malls and uh, and nail salons that that might eventually have um, a lot of excitement around it um, where it seems like it's kind of going to be a, a great investment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at like you look at some of the some of the ones that have happened over the last four or five years. Like, look at Squamish. I mean, yeah, un- right. unbelievable, right? You go you go ten years ago into Squamish, and people kind of look at it and they're like, "Why isn't this bigger? Why isn't this more developed?" And for better or worse, it is now, right? Yeah. You look you look at some of the pricing there. That's that's very comparable to North Vancouver. I actually I think that there's an interesting thing happening in in Coquitlam. I think the you know the the majority of development has been centered around Burquitlam, which is is obviously very very dense, and for good reason. The access to transit there's amazing, and you've got this this really neat community that's being developed but i think you look a little bit further east of that and you, you've got some really neat opportunity there you've, you've got a lot of land that is is ripe for a new city 
Uh, and the convergence of transit is is kind of like no other part of the city. You've got, you know, you've got highway access, you've got West Coast Express access, you've got SkyTrain access. So it's this kind of neat time, I think, for Coquitlam that's happening. I, I like some of the more rural markets too. Like I, I find Kelowna really interesting. We've we've always skied a big white as a family. So we've I've kind of grown up. It's a great place. It, oh, it's, it's a awesome. great place to ski. It's great. And, you know, I like Kelowna because it, I've w- watched it go from this like kind of sleepy orchard town to this place where, you know, we were just looking actually looking with a, a friend of ours at a, a townhouse development up there. And the prices there were, were astronomical to me. But it makes sense when you look at what's happening, right? You look at some of the stuff that Mission Group's doing up there. You look at mm-hmm. some of the stuff that uh, is happening in, in the area. And it's this really neat city that's being being developed. So, you know, I, I think there's there's opportunity within the Vancouver market. I think the greater Vancouver market, I mean. And then I think there's also opportunity on the exterior. I, I think Victoria is really interesting for me. I, I We don't do a lot of development in Victoria. I, I think it's a market that is, is just a really unique convergence of government, university, and tourism. And it's it's a special place. So I would love to, to see Marcon jump into that. And do you think Marcon, and I just thinking about kind of the, maybe the, um, the Okanagan, uh, or potentially the island. Do you do you see a future for Mark on there? I don't think for us. No, I, I think you know we 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 know where we know where our influence is best applied. And and for me, those are more just personal areas of interest. Right. I, I personally really like those markets for for personal investment. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the right area for us to apply our, our expertise at this stage in our in our company's direction. Um, we've got a lot on our plate in Greater Vancouver, sure. which is which is yeah. good. You know, we're we're kind of diving into this this world where we're going to see. Uh, a few thousand homes a year brought to market, which is is exciting for us. So we're busy here, but who knows where the future is going to go, right? We've got lots of interest in other cities in, in Canada and and even down into the U.S. as well. And rental is a big one for us. IPP, we're starting to dive into as well a, a little more heavily. So it's uh, it's a diversification across product and asset classes too, as opposed to just looking at, at trying to template a residential development in another city, right. uh, which I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. I think, I think you look at something that works in a Vancouver or Calgary market and you just try to control see and, and apply it yeah. to a different market and it's dramatically different so right. we we're conscious of, of our limitations and where our application is best served and best used uh, and we wouldn't try to to kind of go into a submarket in Toronto and just apply a Vancouver model too because we've been successful here you know I just had a couple more questions here one thing I'm just we've talked a lot about this but never for for some reason uh, this it just stuck with me where you know kind of the flattening of the submarkets has occurred where on a pricing and we've talked, you know, a lot uh, about this where, you know, Surrey pricing and presale is kind of not that far off from, you know, Burnaby or, or Vancouver pricing. Do you guys talk about that kind of that changing dynamic? And what do you think has driven that? Because it's kind of like a, a reorientation of, of how to understand Metro Vancouver real estate in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we we definitely do talk about that. It's 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 an interesting thing to look at what happens in submarkets and and kind of to my earlier point, I, I think it's one of those things where you used to see a very big discrepancy between these submarkets. Right. You know, you used yeah. to look at you know Surrey and then compare that to Coquitlam and compare well, it to drive till you can and, afford. And, right? and especially or, over COVID, we've totally. talked about how it just seems like that that's gone away. And the COVID effect is kind of one thing, like the work from home. You know, blah blah blah. We've talked about that. But I think there's something different going on as well, right? Yeah, I think you've got a you've got a couple of things that are at play. I think you've got number one. There's a there's a, a the the old demand and supply thing that happens when when you're launching one project at a time, and you look at kind of Greater Vancouver on its own. We went through a period there where you would have a single launch, right? You'd, you'd see like in a in a February market, you'd have one tower launch, or you'd right. have you know three towers launch in a quarter. 
And when you're doing that, it, it tends to level the playing field just from a pure demand standpoint, right? You look at like people that want to get in and buy an investment property, whether they would prefer to buy in Coquitlam versus Metrotown versus Brentwood, they're going to go where the, the product is available to them, right? So there's a little bit of a, of a factor that's happening there. The other thing I think is like there's there's a little bit more of a uh, elevation of of the the product itself, mm. right? I don't think you can find that much difference these days between submarkets in terms of what's being delivered, right? Like I remember way back when you used to go in and you'd, you'd walk into one development site and you'd have, you know, integrated appliances and stone countertops. You'd go into another one and you'd have white appliances and, and laminate, and laminate <laughs> yeah. countertops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like show me a development right now that doesn't have quartz composite countertops. It doesn't have you know, high-end appliances. It doesn't have great amenity offerings. There's this, this uniformity, I think, that's happened, which has kind of led to this, this kind of similarity between these submarkets, right? The, the, the consumer is kind of speaking about what they want and everybody's kind of delivering now on mm. it. So it, it leaves us with a, a fairly big challenge of how do you actually differentiate from that, right? When you have somebody that is no longer coming to you because you're the development that's in Coquitlam or you're the development that's happening in, in Brentwood and they have the ability to look at maybe five or 10 different products that that on the surface of it seem very similar from a price standpoint, from a product offering standpoint. And so as we, we've always relied on our brand for that, we've always relied a little bit on our quality, but we're trying to approach things with a, a really thoughtful application of how we bring these products to market from the way that we actually engage with, with buyers and realtors in our sales galleries and doing some things a little bit differently, kind of dismantling the traditional process and only putting things back that, that truly do serve the process of buying these homes and trying to push the envelope a little bit on that. But also just just things that used to be checklists for developers like amenity applications and, and and trying to approach them a little bit more thoughtfully. Yeah. You know, not just looking at it being like, okay, we need amenities. So party room, gym, concierge, check, we're done, right? Yeah. Looking at it and going like, who's literally going to live here? Like, what's the difference between the person that's buying this and the tenant that may be renting here? What do those people want, right? And what, what's our amenity offering going to actually do to elevate this development in the future for the people that are buying from us? So it's not just another synonymous tower. You know, the, the development industry is always... Uh criticized for being kind of a copycat industry, right? And I, I, I'm just thinking about like, how important is the feedback loop from the consumer uh, in terms of what you, in terms of what you're creating? That's so funny. We, we literally were in a two, two hour meeting yesterday talking about this specific thing. We're, we're talking about trying to understand this, this idea between the information that you gather and applying it to an insight and this feedback loop of, of taking, you know, the feedback that we get as a developer from our daily traffic reports and who's been in our presentation galleries and who's, who's been there to what does it mean? Right. And trying to understand exactly mm. what people are wanting. What, like, why did somebody choose today to come into our sales gallery? Right. They could have come yesterday. They could have come two weeks ago. They could have come, you know, in a week from now. What, what is it that drove them in that, that exact moment? So we're really trying to understand that a little bit deeper. And it, it's been fun to try to apply that because you have, you know, you have a lot of a lot of business as usual that happens in the development industry, right? If you look at at uh, from a sales team standpoint, everybody kind of tends to run very similar programs. Like, does anybody know why everybody's closed on Fridays? It does. Like, yeah. like why is every development <laughs> site closed on Fridays? Right? Nobody yeah. can really answer that. Right? Yeah. And so I think we look at it and we say, well, like, how can we dismantle that and kind of look at it and try to understand exactly what does the market want, right? So we're trying to look at approaching things differently. Our our Port Moody program with you is, has been coupled with this concept called Outpost that we do, which we we partnered with Timber Train Coffee and North Point Brewing, Vancouver right. Run Co. And it was a really important initiative for us. Like we, we really wanted to be authentic with how we brought things to the community. And so I, I think a lot of times developers get this, uh, 
get this this reputation for being disingenuous, right? It's like we, we will help to the degree that it helps ourselves, right? Right? Like we will put a cafe in our in our in our uh, presentation centers, but it's only open twelve to five, and only when we need it. And afterwards, you know, we've done our thing. Yeah. But we really wanted to kind of approach this thoughtfully, and, and we said, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna commit to the community before asking them to commit to us. We're gonna open this up, not have anything to do with the sales gallery, right? Like, and even if the program sold out in a month, we would still run it for another year, year and a half, kind of thing, right? So I think this concept of like trying to understand what the market actually wants from you in that feedback loop is is really important. Um, and you're right, we we do tend to get a bit of a, a bad reputation for for not listening. But the more you can actually kind of get closer to that front line and understand exactly what conversations are, are being had on the floor, the better you're going to make in terms of your your decisions, right? Like, I personally have always operated on this this theory that the the war is won by the privates in the field, not the generals back home. Right. And so if you're not if you're not engaging deeply with your your front line, if you're not really understanding the, the customer and what they what they understand from their value and what, what that truly is, not what you think they want, mm-hmm. but what they actually want, you're just going to be kind of making your own decision in the dark. And just to to hit on Hugh for a second here. So I've been out there a few times. There's there's the display center and then there's the cafe kind of craft beer you bet. Uh, cafe next door. Is that why so, you were out there? Yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. like, I didn't even actually go yeah. in the display center. You really didn't have a client to cut uh, off. Was that, <laughs> yeah. that was, I got the, I, got the I was the guy. That was, that was embarrassing. <laughs> so there's, and and I think Renee explained it to me at the time, but I was kind of wowed by everything. Uh, so is is that cafe is a mark on is that your cafe yeah so we we, we approach this with this concept we, we've branded it as outpost and and you know, what we really wanted to do is we wanted to look at this and say like you know let's be honest developers aren't cool right like we're like nobody's walking around with like a developer branded t-shirt and being yeah. like dope look at yeah. this like I, i'm totally aligned with this brand right so you know we looked at it and said like if the market doesn't think we're cool let's not try to be disingenuous about it let's not try to like you know partner with somebody and attach our brand with somebody just for the sake of trying to trying to show something you see it all the time right it's kitschy yeah you've got this like amenity play that like you throw another cool brands logo on and people are like what what does that have to do with anything it doesn't make any sense so we, we looked at it and we we're like you know port moody is such a special community and they're very protective of their businesses, right? They're very protective of Port Moody Grown. And so how do we how do we integrate a developer that's had a longstanding there? This is, I think, our third project in, in Port Moody in, in probably six years, seven years that we've done. How do we, you know, integrate with this community while also offering something new and, and fun? And this concept of outpost was was really special to us. It was, it, we used to joke about it when we were in the planning stages. If, if people watch Shit's Creek, there's this scene where David tries to describe what the apothecary is. And he's like, it's it's kind of like a food retailer, but it's like a beverage space, but you don't have to have coffee and you can buy something, but you don't have to, and there's events and blah, blah. And that was kind of our, our starting point is we, we thought, you know, what would people want to engage with selflessly? And, and how would this actually integrate with that kind of a community? And so we, we built this space. We turned our old George Presentation Center. We, we gutted the whole thing. We, we went from probably 3,000 square feet dedicated to, to the sale of the project to probably 1,000 square feet dedicated to the sale of the project. Uh, the rest was this this beautiful cafe that's been designed and timber train runs the coffee side of things north point brewing runs the the brewery side of things vancouver runco has a, a retail corner we've got other brands that are great like talu that that represent us there and it's been a really neat thing to watch the community interact with it because we we opened it before we even opened our our previews right. for our presentation space so and it, and it's and maybe that's where not necessarily the confusion but when i was in the display center i walked out and it's like you know people working on laptops and like clearly just people from the community. And it's like, wow, this is a really cool spot. 
it's been and then it's but it's actually yeah it's just <laughs> and a, next thing you know you're calling an uber <laughs> <laughs> and we, shout out to renee orston by the way oh, and then whatever she say, is selling i'm buying <laughs> mark, but mark i was gonna say earlier mark on has uh, and i think you're part of this push in the last year and a half two years of just building like an incredibly talented team and taking people that everyone knows in the industry and everybody loves and compiling them in one spot. It you seems know, like such a it's, great, it is move. a talent. It's, it's, it's heavy full of talent. talent. Yeah. It's, it's an insane thing. I mean, we, we are so lucky with the talent that we have. It's, it's a, it, and it was a very interesting thing to watch, right. Come together. Cause you know, I've built many sales teams over my career. I've, I've worked with a ton of different talented people at, at the agency side and at, at the developer side. But it was really interesting to watch what was slowly permeating out into the industry about what we were doing and how we were doing things a little bit differently and who kind of gravitated towards that. So, right. you know, we started building this internal sales team in in probably February, March of this year, having conversations with people. And the people that you see in our sites, they're sought after, right? These are people that you talk to them and you're trying to sell them on coming to join your organization. And you know they have two to three other offers yeah, from like sure. big names, right? Like yeah. they, they know, you know, they know the people that are trying to pull them over. And so watching people choose to kind of engage with us on that that sales level was not that different than watching how like our vendors have wanted to engage with us and looking at how the community and, and the industry in, in itself has kind of reacted to it and watching who comes into those spaces. The, you know, the market is so in need of difference and, and everybody wants so badly to see something applied in a different way that when somebody does it, when somebody does step out of the traditional way of bringing a product to market, it's this ripple effect that goes through. And it's been really funny to watch because you, you see half the people come in and you know that they don't usually go out and look at presentation centers, yeah. right? Like you're watching these these people that are owners of companies going in to kind of check out what's being done differently. And then you hear through the grapevine, certain people are like, oh, that's stupid. Like they'll they'll never be successful at that. And you're like, oh, because you're saying that. I think we're going to be successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Like, that's awesome. That's a good yeah. sign. Let's keep going in that direction. Uh, but we're so fortunate to have the people that, that have been a part of this. And, um, you know, Renee is, man, she's just, something else she's like force she's, of nature. she's unbelievable right like we honestly yeah i think i it's it's hard to think of like uh, jory's pretty good too jory's great <laughs> i like to bug jory and i feel so bad because i give renee so much love and then I, like out of love i, I bug jory and after half the time i go up to him after i'm like you know i love you right buddy you yeah. know i love you i feel like it's like and this has nothing to do but it's like one of those they're like a tag team where he's it's like a the good David call, Spade or he's like the, like Renee's such an outsized personality. He's right? Renee standing and, still. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and he's sort of beside her. And you're like, oh yeah, these, the contrast works. These guys are great, honestly. And the, the yeah. you know, Renee was interesting. We we ended up uh, having our first kind of connection by Zoom or by by uh, by Teams. And we both didn't realize that we were in Palm Springs at the same time. We, we kind of set this interview up and we're both like, sorry, I'm away. And she's like, sorry, I'm away. And I said, well, you know what? Let's just connect. And it turns out she was staying at a mutual friend's place. So I did this like Zoom with her. And 30 minutes oh, later, I'm drinking hilarious. a glass of wine with her by the pool, which is great. I was, you know, now knowing Renee as well as I do, it's like, that's that's 100% perfect in, in the scope of Renee. But it's, uh, no, it's, it's been cool. And, you know, our, our goal as a as a developer, and, and when you do bring everything in-house, there's a certain amount of risk. You've never, you've never done this before you don't have all of the internal systems that you can kind of kind of build off of and you're bringing all these new personalities that have this immense amount of experience in in the past and they do it differently over here and they do it differently over there and you're trying to bring it together and make this cohesive group but that's where that's where the magic happens right if if, if i can just get out of the way and let people actually apply their talents to it the the right way of of the mark on way it will emerge right you'll you'll right. you'll see how that comes with these talented people together right i always uh 
the the number of agents that buy in a project is always a big testament to me for me and i i know a ton of agents that bought at at hue and uh these are people that are seeing thousands of properties a year for right sure. yeah uh and they have their pick of the litter of what they can buy in many cases so it's um, if that's not a testament i i have just one and we've taken up a lot of your time chris one one more question for you and it's in in a different vein but i think somebody out there is got to be wondering this and this is not mark on specific but but just the pre-sale market in general right now appraisals completions assignments what what are what is kind of the general mood are 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 things appraising is there any kind of like oh this is a we're we're nervous about completions in in the industry more generally speaking yeah it's an interesting thing i, th- I think you know if you zoom out, Canada has done a good job of, of kind of insulating itself against some of the dramatic shocks that happen, right? right. There's, there's a lot of investment in pre-sale, in residential, from the purchaser level, from the developer level. There's a lot of security that, is, that has kind of been put in place through legislations and, and just general practices in the organizations that we work with. So there, there is this, um, there is a, a level of calm and, and kind of like stability that I think we can, we can kind of rely on. It was interesting when we, you know, we we don't have any completions internally this year. We right. we had a very heavy year of completions last year where we we closed three to four four buildings, and it was at a time where you know it wasn't the hottest market, right? You were looking at people coming through very deep impacts to their personal situations that weren't there when they were writing a contract in 2018, 2017. Right. Of course, one thing that I've realized is people figure it out, right? Like if 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 a developer is reasonable and you you look at it and there's a way to help somebody complete on this home, we're going to make that work, right? For the most part, though, there, there's a lot of um, there, there's a lot of confidence in people going forward with these completions. So we we had a very low default rate. We didn't actually have any defaults in our in our Clark and Como Tower. Uh, we had a lot of assignments that happened, and a lot of those were internal family assignments. So I think people are looking at real estate more as like it's a lot of family decisions now. It, it's less individual, right? I feel like we see that. Too. It's kind of an interesting shift totally. too. Yeah. Yeah. It, which, which is great, right? It's, it's, you know, you have people that, that win together and you have people that are able to kind of come together when things are a little bit more challenging and, and kind of make things through. But I think it's, it's also a commentary on, on, you know, overall confidence in the market. People are looking at things together and, and they want to share in the successes of the market, but they also want to kind of be there to support each other through if it does get a little bit more challenging. Right. But, you know, family investments are, are big for us. Like it's, it's always interesting when you look at your, you're trying to figure out your buyer demographic and you break it down, you know, who's going to be an owner occupier who's going to be an investor like what does investor mean right like it's no longer this person that just buys it flips it buys it rents it right there's there's such a difference between you know the family investor now which is the dominant investor in in the city yeah so you know we have a lot of confidence in that kind of stuff i i think uh by the time we complete a lot of our programs i I think for them for the most part the appraisals will 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 net out i think we we're not too worried about that the assignment market has been largely curtailed. We've we've found by a lot of the legislation that that's happened. Yeah, yeah, um, and will be likely furthermore. I think so. Yeah, the, the the challenge on the assignment from our standpoint is it, there's a huge amount of work on our end for for the simplest things, right? You you want to add your husband on on title, or you want to add your 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 mom on title, or something like that. It, it's a massive undertaking for us administratively, and there's a cost associated with that right now. So I, I think a lot of people are are kind of have shifted away from that that market where they're going to buy something with the intention of flipping it in a year and and moving it on, which I think was the, the direction and the intention of a lot of this legislation was to try to minimize that that market. So, you know, I, I think that the appraisals, assignments, and and closings, like you're still going to see people move through. There's, there's a lot of deposit in here for, yeah. for everybody, right? Yeah. Everybody's people got, will find a way. For sure. Everybody's got 15, 25% in. So it's, it, it's a lot of, a lot of risk there. 
Chris, we've got this segment called the Five Wire, Five Lighthearted Questions Love to end it. the show. Can I'm you stick around good. for that? I've, I've been looking forward to this. I'm ready to go. <laughs> All right. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay. So question number one is what is one book that you would recommend for oh, our listeners? Easiest question. The most gifted book I've ever given was uh, The Four Seasons by Isidore Sharp. So it's the business story behind We've had that. We've how had the Four that. I'm Seasons. trying to remember when. It was, it's honestly, I, I literally just ordered 10 copies. Uh, our whole team is reading it together right now. I, I've probably given 15 or 20 copies of these away. The thing that, that really gets me about this is it was an unintentional business story that you watch the, the founder of The Four Seasons and how he came to understand service and how he came to build a business purely around what the customer wants. And it was a really genuine one. So it's it's definitely the most gifted book. If anybody has any interest in in service, in making bold decisions at the at the perception of value for customers, that's definitely the book to read. Oh, wow. That's, that's, a, that's a great one. I re, yeah, I remember specifically thinking I should get that. And yes, 100%. No, I will. The the second one I will give as a little like sub point to that is um, Built from Scratch, which was the Home Depot story. I've heard of that. So a really great audiobook to listen to. I think that the scale of Home Depot, you don't necessarily associate with an individual. You you think about it as a massive organization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the 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 decisions these guys made when they founded the company and some of the little key pieces that they chose when they chose to go left instead of right in these little tiny inconsequential decisions that then ended up founding the core values of the company. It's a fascinating listen. So I, d- I recommended that one on, on Audible for sure. Fantastic. Great. You mentioned getting up at 5 a.m. I don't want to I don't want to answer this for you, but in the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? Oh, man. Uh it's a tricky question. I've done a lot of new things in the last couple of years. I've 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 consciously changed a lot of routines and habits in my world. So I'm trying to think honestly about what has been the most impactful of those. You, is that a product of your age? And I'm not saying I I'd say we're all kind of You're confused because I look 25, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. We're, we're all both we're, 25. We're all, we're, all, <laughs> we're all under 30 in the room. But I feel like we're all Adam and I are talking consistently like we were joking yesterday about wearing weighted vests around the office. Totally. Like, uh, it's just different like is it I wonder if there's a zeitgeist more generally in, about this yeah, it's out a, of COVID or it's what? It's a title of a book I'm reading right now is Do Hard Things, oh, but yeah. I but yeah, I yeah. I do feel like there's a sentiment and I don't know if it's our age or if it is just like a larger thing, but uh, people really want to put themselves through the ringer. hundred percent. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it is honestly, it, it's a product of confidence that comes with experience in age, like in, in all reality, right? Like I, I think we grow up with so much concern around what people think about us. You know, you look at like, God, high school, right? Like you think yeah. about the things that were like massive for you in high school and you think about your early stages of your career and the, the desire to be seen and validated and, and be like, you know, We already did our nicknames. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, it's, you know, I, I think when you get to a certain age and it happens for people at different stages in their lives, some people are fortunate enough to, to kind of realize this moment of maturity early and other people, it takes a lot longer. And, 
you know, you often have to make the mistake to understand how to do it correctly. But I, I think, you know, you get to this point where you just have this little bit of confidence in yourself and you have this little bit of lack of care and concern for what other people think of you. And, you know, one of the things um, I was struggling when I was consulting and I called Ben Smith, who's just an incredible visionary in the industry. He's now president at Avesto. Uh, and I said, you know, Ben, like, I'm really struggling with this. Like, I, I, I don't want to fail. And, you know, I'm really worried that people are going to gonna think that I'm, a, I, you know, I stepped out of this career and tried to do my thing. And he goes, I'll tell you one thing, Chris. He goes, nobody's thinking about you. (laughs) And it was so true. I mean, it was that little thing that kind of snapped you out of it. So like once you, once you kind of get a little confident that like nobody cares about you, right? Everybody's too filled with their own insecurities. It gives you a little bit more latitude to do things that you actually care about and are interested in. So I've done a lot, a lot of self-work. I've gone through a lot of different, you know, kind of explorations of, of myself and it sounds really weird, but it was nothing crazy. I haven't found myself naked in a desert or anything yeah, like yeah, that yeah. yet, but yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of, you know, fitness stuff that I do. I, I'm a big trail runner. So I like spending lots of long hours in the forests on my own and kind of when you're there, you, you, there's nobody to talk to, right? Yeah, you're just yeah. kind of running through things in your head. So I think, you know, fitness, I think if I had to say one thing is probably the thing that's impacted me the most in the last five or six years is kind of getting deep into this kind of uh, a fitness routine that's given me that that chance to kind of get introspective. Right. And it, and just as an aside, when you were talking about, and this I think was before we went live, but one thing I liked about your... This isn't the nickname thing, the, is it? No, I don't, no, I don't no we're not I doing those. We're not doing those. <laughs> no, but the 5 a.m. thing was not any kind of the 5 a.m. club or, you know, you don't do it to meditate necessarily or journal or do all these things that you see online where you you're don't like, get oh man, I don't want to get yeah. up to journal. Like totally. I just don't want to do that. It's just like, I get up and I'll do whatever, whatever I feel like yeah. doing, which actually... When it, you said that, I was like, eh, maybe I should start getting yeah. up earlier. It's funny because it, it honestly started started the opposite way. It started where I was like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do these five things for five months and I'm going to see where my life kind of progresses. And the, the exact thing happened is I realized by like week three, I'm like, well, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Like, yeah. like not, I do, I don't want to get up, but I don't want to do what I do when I get up. <laughs> yeah. and so some people I think really gravitate towards that mental challenge and they, they like that that's what drives them. And I'm just not that guy. So, yeah. I, but I did find that like just creating that space for me was was a really valuable thing that I've continued. It's been almost two and a half, three years now that I've been doing this, and uh, you know sometimes I just I I just hang out. Like sometimes I listen to music, and sometimes I just literally lie on the sofa with my dog and just kind of think about things. And yeah. we just don't give ourselves that time in our yeah. in our lives to be able to do that introspectively, right? It's it's there's so much demand that's happening to us, and I think that's why I like that time of the day is. You know, it, it is this kind of uh, point in time where where you you are on your own. There's nobody really that, and I've, I'm benefiting. I don't have any kids right now, so we're lucky that that we can we can have the luxury of choosing that time. I know a lot of people don't. Yeah, but it's uh, it, it's a really special time for me and valuable. Sometimes I wonder if it's just the discipline and the consistency that is the real pursuit. I think <laughs> you know, so. Just, it's just doing anything at a consist in a consistent way over time, right? It's like. And yeah. being kind to yourself, like, like, look, if you, if you miss a week, if you want to sleep in, if you want to do something, like, you're fine. Like, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Pick back it up, on right? track. Like, it's a simple decision, right? So 100%. These, these are the fast questions, right? We're doing yeah. really, yeah. really great. Things. Yeah. We only got 45 <laughs> minutes left in this podcast. Uh, what have, question number three is what have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie recommendation? Oh man, we, uh, so Jen and I watch a lot of, um, we were victims of watching a single show, but you know what we actually have been watching lately is we started Modern Family again. And I, I just love that show. It's so, it's so funny. It's such a good way to kind of like take the edge off at the end of a long yeah, stressful decompress. day and just watch it and check it out. So easy, that, that's easy an easy TV. one. Easy, easy watching for sure. All right. Question number four for you, Chris. What are you listening to in the car right now or at 5.30 a.m. when you're getting up listening music to music? Wise, so. yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Not no, podcast no, no. or books. Oh, good. I, I don't have to say the 
Vancouver real estate. Yeah. Podcast. Okay. <laughs> just on repeat. Your intro, your intro. All yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, music's, music's uh, I'm a bit of an eclectic music kind of dude. I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, I'm a big fan of like classical piano. I, I really enjoy just listening oh, to it from a, a calm standpoint. But on the flip side of that, like I, I also really enjoy some like really good hard rock when I'm working out. So, and everything in between, to be honest, which is great. But I'd say the, the most, my Spotify most played last year was uh, a guy named Ludovico Einaudi, who is a German pianist that he's wonderful. He's wow. unbelievable. Yeah. I was Not, thinking you'd yeah. say, you know, I really am into uh, piano, and but my most, you know, it's Taylor Swift is my most played or something. <laughs> yeah, I like actually, a Swiftie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the concert shirt that gave it away. And last but not least, Chris, uh, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 recently that's had a positive impact on your life. <laughs> uh, this is, when you said that, I was like, oh man, I don't know. You know what, actually, you know what's kind of interesting? I've, I've had a, an old 65 Mustang that I've been restoring for a long time. I did, I built it with my dad when I was like eight years old. We, we built oh, it wow. and, and I ended wow. up buying it off him when I was, I think, 20 and you know, young twenty-year-old guy. I didn't have any money, so I ended up just storing it. And so the thing got a little bit, a little bit uh, underused. So I've been restoring it now, and I bought a fuel pump. And that fuel pump was the final piece that allowed me to get this thing started after ten years. So that wow. that's had a huge impact in my life, which is great. That's a fantastic one. Yeah. It also sounds like a lot of maybe. Um, I'm just thinking though. That's like uh, an amazing. Uh, it, I feel like that's something like it's like maybe. Um, like you could write a book about restoring an old car and how all the pieces fit together in a way like the metaphor, just, right? Isn't yeah. That, yeah, but isn't that already the is that the motorcycle? The motorcycle. Oh, I was thinking the art yeah. of motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. And Zen yeah. and the, I think yeah. it's been written. It is, you know what it yeah. is. It's a metaphor for life, one. though, right? Like it's yeah. it's uh, it's funny. This car has lived in our garage for a long time, and it's I've, I was getting the pressure to kind of get it, you get it going or get it gone, kind yeah. of. Thing. Oh yeah, sure. And, and you know, I looked at it, and it was so less meditation, exactly. But you know what's funny <laughs> is scrambling. It's, it's honestly it's, <laughs> more pressure. It's a great metaphor for life, right? You go in there and you try. Like I'm not a mechanic. I'm not a crap. I'm not. I'm the guy that gets somebody to call the guy to come yeah, and yeah. do the things. But I've forced myself to try to figure this out, and it's amazing. Like you replace a fuel system, and you're like, wow, I, I replaced a fuel system i know yeah. how to do that now that's super cool but holy crap is it frustrating too because you do all this work and you're like all right this is the final piece this will be great no it doesn't work <laughs> so it's uh it's a metaphor for life for sure oh that's amazing well we'll leave it there but chris how can people find out more about what you're up to and then of course uh learn more about Marcon and all the exciting things coming you know what absolutely check us out on our, our website's probably the best place to start for all of our programs at marcon.ca i definitely encourage everybody to come check out us uh at, at outpost as well out in port moody come grab, yeah. a, grab a coffee grab a beer have a look at something you know just just enjoy the space it's a it's a cool place to be you could also find us we're we're, we're going to be screening a documentary we made about uh the the works of richard on Enriquez from uh, Enriquez and Partners yeah. at, at the Architecture and Design Film Festival in Vancouver wow. it, coming up in November. Um, it, it's a really special 30-minute documentary that we we did in partnership with a couple of incredible producers. And, and I think that's a really neat place for people to kind of come in and get an understanding of what we're doing as a company and how we're kind of approaching things a bit a bit differently. So yeah. wow, that's really interesting. Come check it out. And if you want to meet Matt, he'll be at Outpost as well. You just gotta <laughs> you just gotta step over <laughs> him on your he's, way. He's, in. he's the norm at our bar, right? He's the yeah. guy that comes in like cheers. <laughs> yeah, like, more of a Cliff Clavin, but uh, <laughs> Or a Woody. Uh, but anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, maybe yeah. a Carla. Yeah. Uh, okay. have, have a good... Thanks again. Thanks uh, for, for having time, me, Chris. Really yeah, okay. Thank you very much.
So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Chris Harburn, VP of Sales over at Marcon. Really loved having Chris in studio. Uh, great conversation before the podcast, on the podcast, and after the podcast. Can I just got to say, and I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting Chris, and I don't think he said this on the podcast. Sounds like we, he might be. We all had a thing at the end, I believe, live, where it was like, oh, we're all in tax exercise. And he was like, yeah, me too. And then as we were leaving, he basically dropped that he like does 50 mile runs. That he did like a 50 mile run like that morning. Yeah. Yeah. But literally he'll do like a 50 mile endurance run. He's doing an Ironman soon. Remember uh, the he's doing I, an Ironman yeah. in California, I think by the end of the year. He actually invited us. It was in, uh, it's uh, in Palm, Palm Desert, I think. Yeah. Or somewhere in, uh, I mean, no, I mean, we were uh, like, it's Indian Wells. Indian Wells. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we left the conversation. I literally was like, yeah, we've been doing F45 like three times a week. And he was like, wow, like it's we're like, all on the same really, page. Yeah. Yeah. And then he dropped that he does like Ironmans. He like, <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy when you talk to a guy like that, because it's uh Discipline is obviously his superpower, right? Because I mean, he's he's up at five a.m. all the time. He's he's an incredible athlete. He works uh, he works all the time in, in real estate with, with really high, intense, really yeah, intense, really intense uh, job. Uh, that's for sure, for sure. And there's all these, you know, there's all these different uh, aspects of his life that are. Uh, you, you can tell he's. Uh, you can tell he's just. He shows up. He's and, a well-oiled he, machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> here's here's a couple of things because I I just he sent a really thoughtful email after the show as well, just just touching on some of his recommendations. He, he we've already got the book recommendations. We talked at length about the Rich Roll podcast, and not that we're promoting um, leaving this podcast for another no. one, but the couple couple that he recommended, uh, episode four hundred one which is James Clear on the power of compounded habits. Now that's the atomic habits. That's guy. the atomic habits. So. So James Clear, that's the book that I've been reading kind of quarterly just because I got to be honest, like some people, the discipline thing, it's got to be learned. And I was one of those people. So I yeah. feel like I have to every, every, you know, remind yourself, I have to remind myself and James Clear, I think is a good reminder. So I, I listen to that book quarterly, but this podcast for someone, I sent it to the, to the team, to the team group. And the reason I did that is because if you actually don't want to sit through the James Clear book. Right. This is a great summary, episode 401 on ritual of all the the ways that um, you can improve your your day-to-day habits. Um, the other one that he mentioned was episode 447, which we both just listened to. Well, this is um, why I yeah, have deleted a variety of social media apps. Well, from yeah, my phone. Cal Newport on digital minimalism and how to master control over focus. So this is a lot of like deep thinking, um, which humans can no longer do anymore because of social media. So Cal Newport episode is fantastic as well. Anyways, great recommendations from Chris Harburn. Great recommendations. Great conversation. I, I was really excited about that. The good news is also, Adam, because we're heading into the closer to the end of the year, we have stacked a bunch of episodes. We have some of the best content we've ever produced yes. uh, coming in the next month, month and a half. I cannot wait to release these episodes uh, like the one today. And I'm sure everybody's going to be uh, fired up from today. And it was a good conversation. Matt, what else do we have? We've got the website. Well, we have the website. Of course, if you're looking for a t-shirt, uh, that's Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. But you can also head to our website. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where all things real estate related live. Things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer. There's no reason you shouldn't be on here. If you're interested in pre-sale projects, residential and commercial, if you're interested in 
deal of the month. If you're interested in stats before anyone else, the back catalog, what's going on. There's a couple of people I know that literally don't listen every week. I wouldn't recommend this. They don't listen every week, but they follow along to see, oh, this looks interesting. I'm going to check out this episode. You can do that with the live wire. We also have, of course, private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com slash PCS. Sign up for your own free account. Today is the best day to sign up because really you're monitoring the market. You're going to see a discrepancy between listing and sale price. You need that sold data to, to really understand the market. So sign up for your own PCS account over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? You can get in touch at any time, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We, of course, got that Kokomo line as well. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Have a great week, guys, and uh, we'll be back next week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. 